Let's go back to week one. What did we learn about in the journey? God will get your attention. Nicely done. You don't have notes? All right, that's something from week one. Somebody give me something from week two. Anybody? <laughs> Good job, Justin. I'm so glad you remembered that. Hey, and engage others. Yes. Good job, Justin. Hey, hey guys, that is utilizing all your resources right there. That's Justin. All right, what about week three? What's that? Compassion for what? For others, yes. And last week? Last week. Okay, stop, stop, stop. Yes, I did challenge you all last week to read a chapter of John every day for the next 21 days. How you doing on that? Ha ha. Now, hold on, hold on. I've got a stack of cards in my office that have people's names that says, I accept the challenge. I will read John. I will read a chapter a day. Y'all wrote it down. Follow up on your word. We're actually going to talk about that a little bit tonight. All right. You guys are doing good. Let me, let me give you a quick little rundown. For those of you who, who may not have gotten everything, or maybe you weren't here one of the weeks or some of the weeks, or you just don't understand all the yelling that just happened. The first week we were here, we've been talking about the journey. We've been talking about what Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, where he talks about two different paths. There's one path that is wide, that is easy, that leads to destruction. And there's the other path that is difficult, that very few find, but it leads to life. And we've been talking about the journey on that narrow path, that difficult path that leads to life. And what we talked about the first week, just like you said, is the fact that our journey, that journey on that narrow path begins when we have an encounter with Jesus Christ. When we understand the purpose that he died on a cross, that he rose from the grave, that every single bit of that was so that we could know who he is and experience the forgiveness he offers for the sins that happen in our lives every single day. That's where your journey begins. That's where we start down this narrow path. And as we journey on that path, the next week we talked about the idea that we are going to encounter people every single day that need encouragement. We're going to encounter people that need to be lifted up. And there's going to be times on our path that we need somebody to come alongside of us and encourage us and lift us up in this journey. And it's the church that does that for us. It's the church that trains us and equips us and teaches us to engage other people with the gospel and teaches us how to encourage other people as they are struggling along their path just like we are. And then the third week, we talked about the idea that we're going to encounter people every single day on our journey that don't know who Jesus Christ is. And I challenged you guys that night. I asked you, who was your one? And almost every one of you wrote down on a piece of paper who your one was, that one person that you knew you have a relationship and you know for a fact that you need to share Jesus Christ with them. I hope you're doing okay with that. I hope you've made the opportunity to talk to that one. I know some of you have because you've told me about it or texted me about it. Make those opportunities. Share Christ with that one. Don't, don't, let, that, don't let that fall away. And last week we talked about God's word. 
We talked about Scripture, how on our path, on our journey, Scripture is what brings us life. It's what guides us. It's what directs us. It's what tells us exactly where we're supposed to go as we're trying to walk with Jesus Christ on a daily basis. So that brings us to the last night. This last aspect, we're going to talk about the journey. Now, there's a lot of different things we can talk about. There's a lot of different things that we can look at, but these are the things that I think we need to make sure we understand. And tonight, what I want to talk to you about is the idea that if if we commit to a journey with Jesus Christ, if we commit to follow him, then it requires just that. It requires us to be committed. It requires us to do what we say we're going to do. It requires us to stick to our word. You see, the word committed, that's a word that has changed in our society over the years. It doesn't have the same meaning that it used to. There was a time in our society when a man married a woman, and they stayed that way for the rest of their life. And there was no question about divorce. There was no question about the relationship. But you see, now we live in a day of no-fault divorce, where if you get tired of hanging out with somebody, you get tired of being married with somebody, you just walk away. You see, commitment has changed. There was a time where people would get married, and they would join a church, and they would raise their family in that church. And their kids would be in that church, or maybe even their grandkids. Nowadays, you don't see commitment to church as big a deal as you used to. You've got people who will change churches the way they change their clothes. They're going to go try something different every time they get a different mood. Or you've got other people who every time they see something new, that church down the street, they've got something bigger, better, new music, different lights, different preacher. Hey, I'm going to go try that one. And then it gets old. Now I'm going to go try that one. And then it gets old and they just continue to hop and there's no commitment there. But you see, commitment, commitment is something that we're required to have. There was a time when if you shook somebody's hand and you gave them your word, that meant you were going to do what you said you were going to do. Now we've got a legal system that's busting at the seams with lawsuits because people don't keep their word. You see, commitment, it doesn't mean what it used to. But when it comes to a relationship with Christ, when it comes to following him, it's a huge deal. This path that we talk about, this journey, when you're walking with Jesus Christ and you're following where God wants you to go, you're going to have some amazing, incredible opportunities in your life to be able to share Jesus Christ with somebody, to see the smile on their face when they get it, when they understand that Jesus died for them, when they understand what that love and that forgiveness feels like. That's something you don't get on any other path. You get it on this one. But you know what? There's also going to be times in your journey where things get difficult, where things get hard, where you might struggle a little bit. And those are the times when things get hard that being committed to this journey or this path are incredibly crucial. You see, because you're going to come up against things that you probably wouldn't choose for yourself. There may be times that you feel like God is calling you to do something that makes you incredibly uncomfortable. And the question is, are you committed? Are you committed to following God and being the man or woman that he has designed you to be? Or are you more worried about your comfort and whether you're embarrassed in front of people? You see, commitment, guys, it takes a lot. It takes a lot. And sometimes it's things that we don't want to give. Now, if you look, we've talked about Paul's journey a couple times when we've talked about the journey here. We've looked at at Acts chapter 9, where where he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. We had a face-to-face encounter with Jesus Christ. And we've looked at some of the things he's done. 
And as we follow Paul's journey, we see that he's gone through some hard times in his journey. But at the same time, you've got this guy who has written two-thirds of the New Testament. You've got this guy that was a missionary that went and started churches all over the known world at that time. This guy sits down and he writes something in Philippians that I think we need to pay attention to tonight. In Philippians chapter 3, it says this, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. Paul is making a statement here. If you read the first 11 verses of that chapter, you see Paul starts giving his resume. And he starts talking about how he is a Roman citizen, how he is considered a scholar when it comes to biblical issues and biblical writings, how he was considered someone with zeal when he was persecuting the church, how now he's gone and he's done all these missionary trips and he's writing all these letters and he's done all these things. And then he turns around here in this verse, verse 12, and he says, but I'm not there yet. Jesus Christ has died for me. I've done all these things, but you know what? I'm not there yet. I'm not where God wants me, to be, wants me to be. I haven't done everything that God wants me to do. I've still got more to get out there and get done. You see, as you follow the story of Paul, as you look at verses like that, you start to see that this is a man that was committed to the call of God on his life. He was committed to go wherever God wanted him to do and to do whatever God wanted him to do. And if you look at his story and look at some of the things he went through, I know I read it and think, there's, there's no way. I don't know that I could stay as committed as Paul stayed. I mean, think about this. In Acts chapter 9, it tells us that he escapes from Damascus because the Jews were plotting to kill him. The people that he had come, the people that he was trying to preach Jesus Christ to after he encountered Jesus, well, first of all, he was blind in Acts chapter 9 when he encountered Jesus for three days. Then he goes to the synagogue and he starts preaching, and the Jewish people actually plot to kill him. So he has to run away. In Acts chapter 13, he heads off on the first of many missions trips where he goes and he starts churches and he preaches about Jesus Christ. In Acts 14, he's stoned in Lystra. In Acts 16, he's in jail. In Acts 19, he preaches and causes a riot. Acts 22, he's arrested again. Acts 27, he's on a ship that wrecks, which leads him into Acts 28 where he gets bitten by a viper. Did you see what's going on with Paul here? Time after time after time, he's getting slammed. And yet time after time, he's getting back up and he's moving forward and he continues to go where God wants him to go. And as you read through Acts, you see that where Paul really wanted to go was Rome. And that's where he finally gets in Acts chapter 28. He finally gets where God wants him because he was committed to what God had called him to do. And we look at that and we think, Okay, wait a minute. Why should one man have to suffer so much? Even though, even though God told Ananias in chapter 9 of Acts, he said, go talk to Paul. I want you to tell him how much he's going to suffer for my name. We look at that and think, God, really? I mean, come on. Did he really have to go through all that? But you see, when we make a statement like that, we forget something. We're not on the same level as God. He tells us our thoughts are not his thoughts. Our ways are not his ways. 
You see, we may not always understand God's purpose. We may not always understand what he's doing, but we can always trust in his purpose. And we can always trust in what he is doing. And that is one of the things that helps us stay committed to this journey that he has called us to be on. And one of the things that helped, had to help, had to help Paul stay committed to this journey is what Jesus says in Matthew. He's talking to the scribes and the Pharisees and they ask him a question in Matthew 22, verse 36. He says, teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. One of these on these two commandments depend all the law and all the prophets. You see what Paul understood that he had committed to is he had committed to first love God more than anything. And secondly, love everybody else. That's a hard thing to do. The loving God more than anything can be hard enough, but then to turn around and say, okay, now I got to love everybody else the way God loves me. Yeah. I don't know about that God. But you see, that's what Paul had committed to. And in doing that, because of that, he was willing to be shipwrecked and thrown in prison and stoned and snake bitten. All kinds of stuff. It was because of that that we can look at this and understand that when we say we're committed to God, when we're committed to this journey, that means a couple different things. The first one is this. It means we're committed to struggle. That means you and I, on a regular basis, we're probably going to struggle when it comes to this relationship. Because the reality is there is a constant daily struggle that every single one of us faces when we say we follow Christ. You see it all around you, even if you don't recognize it in your own life. You see it all around you because the sin that affects us affects all of creation. Just watch the news. You see things like cancer and you see rape, and you see murder, and you see natural disasters, and you see theft, and you see thing after thing after thing, and every bit of that is a result of sin in the world. Every single bit of that. You see, we can look around us, and we can see that even creation is in a struggle. Scripture tells us that in Romans chapter 8, verse 19. It says, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. You see, just like us, all of creation is affected by sin. And that sin causes problems. It causes issues. And while we can see it all around us, sometimes we fail to recognize it right here in ourself. I know I struggle with sin on a daily basis. I'm willing to bet you guys probably do too. And that's something that we're never going to get away from. Even when you have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, you're going to struggle. Paul talks about it. Paul talks about this struggle between the flesh and the spirit. The idea that, that we have this body that, that wants sinful things. That's our natural desire. That's our natural tendency. But when we belong to God, we have the Holy Spirit that lives in us. And the Holy Spirit doesn't necessarily want those things. The Holy Spirit wants the things of God. 
Paul talks about that in Romans chapter 7. He talks about the fight that he experiences in his own body, in his own mind. Verse 21 says, So I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. Anybody ever have that problem? We know the right thing to do, but that's not necessarily what we want to do sometimes. He says, when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. It is a struggle when we know what God wants us to do versus what we sometimes want to do. And on our journey, you're making a commitment to partake in this struggle. Because you will. There's no way around it. Because even when Jesus Christ has forgiven you of your sins, even when the Holy Spirit becomes a part of your life, you still have this body. You are still part of creation and every bit of creation is affected by sin. So you don't have a choice. So the question is, are you committed to struggle? Are you committed to this fight that Paul's talking about, that you're you're walking down this narrow path and all of a sudden something gets your attention? And maybe you see people on that wide path and you see some of the things they're doing, that road that leads to destruction. And all of a sudden you kind of want to be over there with them. And then you struggle. And sometimes you actually step off that narrow path and say, "Okay, I'm going to walk over here for a while. Oh, wait, no, 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 I need to be at. Whoa, no, a little bit longer. Okay, now I'll come back. It's going to be a struggle. The question is, what do you do when you struggle? Do you just give in every time? Or do you keep your eyes on the prize like Paul's talking about here? Remembering that even in that struggle, there's something more that God has called each one of us to. And understand this too. When you struggle, that doesn't mean you have to give in to the struggle. Scripture tells us in 1 Corinthians 10.13. Anybody know that verse? Anybody? No temptation has seized you that is common to man. Excuse me, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. When you're partaking in that struggle, when you're facing those things in your life that are taking your focus off of God, there's always a way out. It tells us right there that he always provides us a way to endure it or a way out of it. But we've got to look for him. We can't just put our head down and say, oh no, the sin's got me again. We've got to look for it. We've got to look for those ways to get out of those situations. We've got to look for those ways to keep ourselves out of those situations. But know that you're going to struggle. And it's okay. The question is, What are you going to do about it? The next thing that you're going to be committed to besides struggle is you're going to be committed to work. This relationship with Jesus Christ, it's work. Look at what he says back in Philippians 3 verse 12. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, 
but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. Look at, look at the words he's using there. He says he presses on. He's forgetting what lies behind. He's straining to what lies ahead. Paul is giving us a very clear indication that when we take this narrow path, when we decide to take this journey with Jesus Christ, it's going to be work. We're going to have to put in some effort into this relationship. You know, I don't know. How many of you guys watched the Olympics this past summer? A couple of you? You know, one of the things that I think is really cool about the Olympics is that every time you watch one of those events, you get to see those athletes. You get to see the results of every time that they have pressed on. Of every time that they have fallen, that they have hurt themselves, that they have not gotten that whatever they're doing event down just right and they failed, you're getting to see the results of them pressing on. You're getting to see the results of them forgetting what lies ahead and looking forward and keeping their eyes on the prize. You see, that's what we're called to do. We're going to have to work. When we enter into this relationship, there's going to be countless times that we have failed in our past. Maybe you've got stuff you've done in your life before you knew Jesus Christ and you pray to God that nobody ever finds out about it. But you see, sometimes we have a tendency to stay there and not let go of those things. And see, Paul's telling us, God calls us to put those things down and to look where he wants us to go, not to hang out where we've always been. We're going to have to work at that. That means there may be some decisions you have to make, some things you have to mentally let go of, let go of in your heart with your emotions, and give them to God. It doesn't mean those things never happened, but it means those things don't define who God wants you to be. Those are just part of your past, and you've learned from them. But you're going to have to work. You're going to have to press on. You're going to have to keep your eyes on what God is calling you to. You see, we struggle with that sometimes because we want to hold on to things. We do. Paul, Paul talks about this struggle. He has a struggle that people in his life or people that had heard of him knew what he had done in his past. And they kept bringing it up. When Jesus came, when Jesus met him on the road, he was blinded. And Jesus went to another man named Ananias and said, Ananias, I want you to go to Paul and I want you to lay your hands on him and I want you to pray for him. And Ananias' first response was, don't you know who he is? He's here to throw us in prison. No, I know what he's done. I don't want anything to do with that guy. And see, that's not the last time that Paul saw that. The Jews that were there when he went into the synagogues and started preaching, they knew why he was there and they plotted to kill him and he had to leave town so he didn't die. You see, if Paul had camped out right there in what he had done in his past and said, okay, God, they hate me because of who I was, he would not be the man that we see here. He would not be the man that had gone through all of these things, the man that had decided, okay, I'm going where God wants me, forget what's happened in the past, God's got bigger plans. That takes work. That means looking at your friends that know who you've been when you decide to do something different and saying, you know what? Yeah, that's who I was, but that's not who I am. That's not my identity in Christ. 
That's who I was before. It's different now. It's going to take work because that's hard to do, to look somebody in the eye and say, you're wrong about me, and I'm not going to go there again. It gets harder when you actually decide to do it and not just say it. It's going to take work. There's one more thing, because I know some of you guys, your eyes are starting to close a little bit. There's one more thing we're committed to. We're committed to love. If we make this commitment to walk on this journey with Jesus Christ, we are committed to love others. We're committed to love God. That's what he said back in Matthew. Look at what he says, Paul says in Philippians 3.14, I press on toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Everything that we have talked about for these last four weeks, five weeks counting tonight, every single bit of that starts because of the love of God that he had for us. Everything. It starts with a God who created us. And he created us for a purpose, to be in relationship with him. You know, we see God the Father and Jesus the Son and the Holy Spirit. And scripture talks about how they are in relationship. They are in the Trinity. And we get a small glimpse of that when we belong to God. Because he designed us to be in relationship with him. In case you've ever wondered, we were not created for God's amusement just so he could see how this whole human race thing would play out. He created us. He designed us to know his love. He made us to have a relationship with him. And as we have that relationship, as we experience that love, then we get to turn around and we get to express that to other people. But it says we're going to love God. We have to love him more than anything. More than anything. That means more than your family, more than your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your car, your truck, your iPod, your music, your money, Anything you can think of, you love God more than that. That's the commitment he's calling us to. And you know what? Sometimes you may struggle with that. Sometimes you may have to work at that. But that's what he asks of us. And he asks that of us. I don't know about you guys, but I think that's a much smaller price than dying on a cross. You see, he's already sacrificed a whole lot more than we'll ever have to give up in his son, Jesus Christ. And he did that so we could know him. And he is the one that loved us first. It's real easy to love somebody else when they love you first, isn't it? It's hard to go first. Because you see, after he calls us to love him, he calls us to love other people. And that's when it gets hard. Because there's a lot of unlovable people, aren't there? We talked about this a couple weeks ago. You've probably got at least one person in your life that right now you could think there is no way I could ever show any kind of love to that person because they are an idiot. (laughs) Y'all stop pointing fingers. Don't need to know who that is. But you know what? Yeah. I appreciate you pointing to me. I feel the love. But you know what? That's what he calls us to do. Even when people do things to you that don't make them lovable. For instance, about a month ago, I was driving, coming down Timberlane. And I stopped. And I, the reason I stopped is because the light was red and there's an intersection where people are trying to cross a little, a little, whatever you call it, in the middle of the road where the islands break, turn lanes, whatever you call it. I stopped because there were people coming across the street. 
You see, the problem is where I stopped, there was a turn lane just behind me to my left, and the guy in the truck behind me really wanted to be in that turn lane more than I wanted to drive forward and get hit by a car. So he proceeds to sit behind me and honk his horn. I mean, just lays on his horn because I won't pull forward and block the intersection. And then, because I didn't move when he honked his horn, he drives his truck up over the median and pulls up next to my vehicle and turns to me and proceeds to use every four-letter word you could think of, (laughs) yelling at me, which, by the way, my window's up, so I really can't hear all the words he's saying, but, I mean, he's at the top of his lungs. Just, yeah, love, exactly. He was saying, I love, I love, I love, I love. No, that's not what he was saying. And because, because when I looked at him and smiled while he was yelling, he decided that I really needed to know how long his middle finger was. And then he pulled off into the turn lane and drove off. And you know what? I laughed at him. While he's shooting me the bird, I'm, I'm looking at him and I'm laughing. And I'm laughing for two reasons. I didn't have a choice but to laugh for two reasons. Number one, it's pretty stupid to act that way. Anybody. Teenager, adult, that's just sad. But number two, God tells me I've got to love him. I mean, really? God, that guy, he's not real lovable right now. But God tells me that if I'm committed to love him, then I've got to love that guy, no matter what he's done. That's hard, but that's exactly what he's called us to do. Because you see, that's exactly what God did for us. Scripture tells us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were doing everything in our power, everything, whether we thought about it or not, that was against the very being of who God is, he sent Christ to die for us. Because he loved us. And when we say we love God, he calls us to be willing to lay ourselves down for everybody else. That's what it says in 1 John 3.16. It says, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. It's our love for other people that identifies the fact that we belong to God. The fact that we love him more than anything else plays out in the way that you and I treat everybody else we interact with on a daily basis. That's what he's called us to. So the question I asked you at the beginning is the same question I ask you now. Are you committed? Are you committed in this relationship with God, Jesus Christ, to forget your past? To lay it down. To press forward. Press on. Look to God and what he's called you to do. And in doing so, to love him more than anything in your life. To know that this God, this creator of the universe that made the heavens and earth, that can do anything that is omnipotent, omniscient, he can do anything to know this same God as healer, as father, as lover of your soul. Are you committed to that tonight? If you're not, you can be, and it's not hard. See, we already talked about the fact that we all sin. We're born that way. We don't have a choice, but God's the only one that can do something about that sin, and he did it by sending Jesus Christ to die 
on a cross. Horrific death for you and I. And then he brought him back to life. He conquered death and he conquered sin. And he says, because of this, I can forgive the sin in each and every one of our lives. That's what God says. And if you want that relationship, if you want to know what that love feels like tonight, all you got to do is ask him. All you got to do is tell God, I'm a sinner and I can't do anything about it. God, I need you to forgive me. I need this love that you talk about in your word. But it's a commitment. Understand that. It's a commitment to struggle. It's a commitment to work. And it's a commitment to love. And when you make that commitment, that means you're committing to everybody around you as well. Because you're committing to love them. And one way you can do that, sometimes the best way you can do that, especially when you don't feel like somebody deserves the love that God calls us to give them, is to pray for them. Strange thought, huh? Because you know what? When you pray, God's going to do one of two things. He's either going to change that person to make them more lovable to you, or he's going to change you to see them the way he sees them. So that's what I want us to do tonight. I want to ask you guys to stand. Do it quietly. Do it quickly. If you're in ninth grade, I want you to go to the back corner by the ladder. If you're in 10th grade, I'd like you to go by the exit doors over there in the back. If you're in 11th grade, I'd like you in this front corner. If you're in 12th grade, I'd like you over here by the beanbags. Do it quietly. Do it quickly. Here's what I'd like you to do. Some of your groups are bigger. Some of your groups are smaller. Some of the faces you know from your school, put the beanbags down. Some of the faces you don't know because they don't go to school with you. But you know what? These are the people God has called us to love. These are the individuals, whether we know them, whether we like them, in this group that we are called to love. So I want to ask you guys as a group, pray for each other. I want one person, you can pick who it is, but I want you to pray for your group. I want you to pray for their school. I want you to pray for your school and all the people that you interact with every single day that God will show you how to love them. Go ahead and do that right now, please. Okay, let's pray, guys. Ben, you guys can go ahead and head on up. God, we thank you. I thank you for this group. God, I thank you that we've got so many in this room right now that are on this journey, that are on this path that you tell us about together. And God, I thank you for a willingness to to be here, to pray for each other, God, to show love towards each other, God. And I pray, ah, God, I pray that you will help each one of us to show the love that you talk about in your word to each other. Lord, help us to stay committed on this journey. Help us to know better how to show your love. And if you're here tonight and you don't have a relationship with Christ, you don't know what his love feels like, as soon as we start singing, step to the back of the room and talk to me or talk to Miss Kathleen because we can change that tonight. You can experience that love and know what that commitment looks like. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Y'all come on up and let's sing.